Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Good morning. If, uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm, I'm Ron Young. I'm one of the uh, ruling elders here at Jacob's Well. And, uh, you know, when Pastor Dan's gone, we can do things like rock out on the guitar and have big drum introductions and get some other guy to preach. So I'm that other guy. Uh, but it is a privilege. I, I do enjoy the opportunities to come and, and uh, preach God's word uh, to the congregation. Uh, I love the book of Nehemiah. I, I was grateful for the opportunity. Uh, but I, I'll be honest, I'm going to read a bunch of names today, and I'm going to do horrible at it, so just please bear with me. And um, if I might be so bold, one of the things that I'm going to attempt to do is uh, ask you to rethink the way you look at the gospel. To, to look at things maybe from a new paradigm. After, you, after I read the scripture, you're, you're going to scratch your head and wonder how I'm going to do that after reading this. But um, that, that, is, that is going to be my, uh, my hope. Uh, I have uh, five kids. My wife is Wendy. You probably, if you don't know me, you probably know Wendy. Um, and then I, I have five kids. And the first three are boys. And uh, most of their childhood was spent uh, playing Legos. And I had two girls, and I remember uh, distinctly, I don't remember if it was for a birthday or for Christmas, but Ellie, our uh, oldest daughter, um, there were, I don't know if you remember, I can use air quotes, girl Legos that came out. Uh, they, they had like pink and purple Legos and these little sets. And, and Ellie asked for these, uh, these, these girl Legos, and, uh, you know, great, more Legos. So... Uh, I know the boys actually put money together and bought her a couple of these sets, and we bought her some Legos. And I remember or recall that uh, as soon as she got them, she was very excited, and she turned to his old, her oldest brother, Nathan, and, and asked, Nathan, will you play Legos with me? And, and Nathan was excited because, you know, he loves Legos, and if he's going to play with his sister, might as well play Legos. And he's like, yeah, sure. So... Uh, they, they got into the room, and she brought her sets out, and she just almost hands them to him and says, could you build these? So he's busy building the play sets from these Legos, and as soon as he was finished, he was ready to walk out the room. Like, right, I'm, I'm done. I, I played Legos. Ellie is thinking, oh, good, the, the sets are built now. Now we can play Legos, right? So there's this... this, uh, this uh, um, you, you might say this, uh, confusing uh, the means to, and the ends. So, so for, for Ellie, building the playset was a means to an end, which was actually playing. <laughs> for, for Nathan, um, he thought the end was just putting the building together. 
Last week, Jonathan preached uh, regarding the wall that it was completed in 52 days. It was an amazing thing, this miraculous uh, speed by which God had, had helped the people build the wall. Today, what I want to do is uh, we'll look at um, the proper end for building the wall in God's mind. All right. So let's, uh, let's pray together. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you uh, for your great love for us and for calling us to yourself and the many good things that you give to us. And right now I want to take briefly the opportunity to thank you for the shepherds you've put over us. We're so grateful for Jonathan and his work here and for Dan Jackson. And as he is uh, on sabbatical, Lord, we ask that you would um, bless he and his family and uh, to be with Jonathan is, is he's kind of manning the ship here by himself. But Father, we're grateful for them and pray that you would continue to uh, encourage them and guide them, uh, strengthen them, Lord, in their work. And I pray that you be with us uh, too, um, under their leadership and, and, uh, and authority. I pray, God, that you would uh, help us um, uh, be the church that you would desire. Father, now we thank you too for your word, and as we read, God, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to what you'd have to say to us today through it, and we pray this in Jesus' name and to your glory, amen. All right, Nehemiah chapter 7, I have no idea where it is in the red book, the blue book, or the children's book, is it, but it's there, yes, 42 in the red Bible, 473 in the blue and uh, 517 children's. There you go. God's word. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites have been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And when they are stand, still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt." Then God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first. And I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel. Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nehemiah, or Nehemani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mespereth, Bilgai, Nahum, Bana. And the number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Perosh, 2,172. The sons of Shephatai, 372. The sons of Era, 652. The sons of Pehath, Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, 2,818. The sons of Elam, 1,254. The sons of Zatu, 845. The sons of Zakai, 760. The sons of Benui, 648. The sons of Bebai, 
628. The sons of Asgad, 2,322. The sons of Adokim, 667. The sons of Bigvi, uh, 2,067. The sons of Aden, uh, 655. The sons of Ator, namely Hezekiah, 98. The sons of Hashem, 328. The sons of Bezai, 324, the sons of Hereth, 112, the sons of Gibeon, 95, the men of Bethlehem, and Nath, 188, the men of uh, Anathoth, 128, the men of Beth as Mevveth, 42, the men of uh, Kiriath Jerium, uh, Chephira, and Beroth, uh, 743, the men of Ramah and Geba, 621, the men of Michmas, uh, 122, the men of Bethel and I, 123, the other men of Nebo, 52, the sons of other Elam, 1,254, the sons of Haram, 320, the sons of Jericho, 345, the sons of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 721, the sons of Sena, 3,930. The priests, the son of Jedidiah, sons of Jedidiah, namely the house of Jeshua, 973. The sons of Emer, 1,052. The sons of Pashur, 1,247. The sons of Haram, 1,017. The Levites, the sons of Jeshua, namely of Kidmael, the sons of Hodeva, 74. The singers, the sons of Asaph, 148. The gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Ater, the sons of Talmon, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatata, the sons of Shobai, 138. The temple servants, the sons of Ziha, the sons of Hasufa, the sons of Tabaoth, the sons of Keros, the sons of Sia, the sons of Padan, the sons of Labana, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Shalmai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gidel, the sons of Gehar, the sons of Ria. Hai, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nakoda, the sons of Gazim, the sons of Uza, the sons of Pesheah, the sons of Besai, the sons of Meunim, the sons of Nefushim, the sons of Babkuk, the sons of Hakushufa, the sons of Hahur, the sons of Bazlith, the sons of Mahida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkos, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tema, the sons of Niza, the sons of Hatifa, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Sophereth, the sons of Perida, the sons of Jaela, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Gidel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pochereth, Hazabim, the sons of Ammon. All the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. The following were those who came up from Tel Melea, uh, Tel Harsha, Cherub, uh, Adon, and Imr. But they could not prove their father's houses nor their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Delilah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nakoda, 642. Also of the priests, the sons of Hobaiah, the sons of Hakos, the sons of Barzillai, who had taken a wife of the daughters of uh, Barzillai and the, the Gilead, Gileadite, who was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there. So they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them, while well, they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest with Urim and Thummim, Thum, Anyway, should arise. 
the whole assembly together was 42,360 besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,307 or 37. And they had 400 or 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. Now some of the heads of the father's house gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury a thousand derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priests' garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of the father's house gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priests' garments. So the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And yeah, thank thank you. And I I get to do it again in second service. So, Um, yeah. So you look at this and you go, yes, again. um, I'm invited to preach, and it's this kind of uh, text. So, (laughs) fun stuff. I have I have three three main points. Um, what, the first is the, the wall is a means, not an end. The, the second um, is, is about the faithfulness of God. And the third is that our lives is a, are a display of God's glory. Um, those are the, the three points I want to I get to. And I, I want to start um, with this idea of um, what, what do I mean by the walls are a means to an end? And what is this, this, this end? If you look at verse 4, you, you have this evaluative sentence, right? You, you know what I mean by an evaluative sentence. You, you know, it's your boss invites you into to their office, and they say to you, okay, well, Susie or John or whoever, um, well, we, <clears throat> we, we, all, we, uh, we all think you're a, a good guy and, or good gal, and, you know, your coworkers like you. What comes next? Yes, but, yeah. And here we have an evaluative sentence. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. There's an understanding that we have of what uh, Nehemiah is doing in building the wall is not simply to have a wall, right? The, The wall is a means to an end, and the end is to restore Jerusalem. Now, when I say restore Jerusalem, I'm not saying it in the sense that uh, Nehemiah had this great idea and he just went and did it. I'm saying that there was a plan and a purpose that God had for Jerusalem, and this is part of the beginning of what God is going to do to Jerusalem. Let let me just share, first of all, from... uh, the Book of Lamentations, because we all need to be familiar with the Book of Lamentations. From chapter 2, I'm going I'm to read um, the first two verses and then start again um, with, uh, chapter, or with verse 13 and read through 17. So that's where this is coming from. 
Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, who not only prophesied the destruction of, of Jerusalem and its restoration, also had a, an opportunity to witness the devastation and to lament about it. And so this is from his, his lament. Lamentations 2. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. By the way, Jerusalem is the daughter of Zion. How the Lord in his anger set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the habitations of Jacob. In his wrath he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. Going to verse 13. What can I say for you to what can I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you that I might comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes. But you have seen but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads as the daughter of Jerusalem. They say, is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies rail against you. They hiss, they gnash their teeth, they cry. We have swallowed her. Ah, this is the day we long for. Now we have seen it. We see it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. So this reminds us that the, uh, of the important place that Jerusalem played in God's scheme and, and plans. The, the whole world looked on Jerusalem and saw it as the perfection of beauty. They saw it as the joy of all the earth. This was the place in which God had chosen to display um, his glory. The temple was there. The, 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 uh, you know, there were reports of how um, from even out in the sea, you can see uh, Jerusalem up on its hill, um, far away, gleaming even, uh, the, the temple, this, this wonderful place, and now it has been destroyed because of the sin and wickedness of the people there. But Jeremiah also in his book tells us of the restoration of, of uh, Jerusalem. In Jeremiah 33, verses 7 through 9, we read, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel, and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of this, their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city, that is Jerusalem, shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. So God and his purpose and plan has in mind the restoration of Jerusalem. Nehemiah has come. He has built the wall. This is just the beginning. The, the means to this end of this, this glory. He, 
He's a man of action, so he, he doesn't stop and, you know, hey, we're done, let's, let's have this huge party for the next several weeks. Immediately, he, he springs into action, and we see in 7 that what he does. The first thing he does is he sets up the doors and the gates, and he sets up, and he puts gatekeepers, singers, and Levites, uh, uh, and appoints them. And this sounds really weird, because what in the world are singers and Levites have to do with anything? Well, well, this phrase, gatekeepers, singers, and, and the, of the Levites, is a phrase you'll see not only here in uh, Nehemiah, it's in Ezra, it's in Chronicles, and it's just, it's a phrase saying that, in, in essence, the Levites who are responsible for guarding the temple because they actually know what they're doing, you know, in guarding things, Nehemiah has temporarily took some of the Levites from the temple, and they're now going to be the gatekeepers for the, for the walls, and I say temporarily because we also see um, that they're going to appoint and you know, probably train new, new gatekeepers who aren't, who aren't Levites. So he takes the people who have experience guarding. I mean, I, my, one of my favorite stories was when King Hezekiah comes into the temple. Do you remember this? Hezekiah wants to make a sacrifice. He's the king of Israel. He is the commander of all the armies of Israel. This is a powerful man. And he comes with his sacrifice. He walks into the holy place. He's going to head to the Holy of Holies. And the Levites come with their spears and they stop the king and won't let him in. Why? Because that's what they're supposed to do. They're to, to guard and, and keep uh, the temple. And they won't let even the king in. Um, it was a good job. By the way, that's what God commanded Adam to do in the garden, which he neglected to do as the serpent came to, the, to Eve. To guard and to keep. It's what we do all the time, too, is we neglect to guard and to keep. That's a whole other sermon, so I'm going to go on. So the Levites come, and they're, they're the temporary guards. Then he appoints uh, governors over Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah is, uh, is, the go- is a provincial governor, right? So he's kind of like Scott Walker, right? But he has the power to appoint what we would call the mayors, so he, he takes his brother and the, the captain of the citadel in Jerusalem or the, of, of the guard, and he appoints the two of them together to co-lead um, Jerusalem. And then he gives them instructions because even though the wall is built and now there are gates on there, it doesn't mean that they're all safe, like that everything's fine. Um, there's still enemies out there who would love to see the destruction of the work. And so he gives these instructions to them to make sure in a normal city... Uh, the gates would be open at the crack of dawn and be shut sometime as in the evening. Uh, what he's saying here is, is that his instruction is, is that you're not going to let the gate open until the, the sun is hot, right? Not at the crack of dawn, but when, it, when, it's, when it, the, the sun's up pretty high. And you're going to shut the gate while the sun is still standing, while the guards are still there and standing, right? So that he's limiting the time in which people can come, come in and out. And it's the purpose to protect the work that, is, that God has in mind. And then he instructs them again to, to uh, appoint new, um, you know, new gatekeepers from among the lay people. The Levites are supposed to be guarding the temple, not the wall. This is a temporary situation. So Nehemiah understands the wall is not the goal. There's something bigger. He takes effort to make sure that the work can continue. But as he looks and he evaluates the city, it's wide and it's large, it's now protected. Um, there are a few people in it. This, this isn't God's intent for just a few people in it. And the houses haven't been rebuilt. 
And there's a, a double meaning here in the text. The houses haven't been rebuilt. It's, it's meaning two things. Number one, the inhabitant, like the, the actual structures in Jerusalem have not been rebuilt. The temple's been rebuilt, and it's okay. The walls are rebuilt. Now, the next step is going to be the actual homes within Jerusalem. But the other meaning to it, it has to be the houses, the families, the people who belong in Jerusalem. They, they haven't been established, reestablished yet. And so we, we find that uh, Nehemiah gets this uh, sense from God that he needs to, he needs to start doing this. This is where he gets the genealogy. This is where he comes, in, and I'm not going to read it again until I have to in second service. But these lists of all these people, these are, the, these are the houses that had been taken in exile and have come back. And now they need to be reestablished in their areas, especially within Jerusalem. Especially within Jerusalem. So here's where it gets really interesting um, yeah. The genealogies are where it gets really interesting. Here's where it does get interesting. What Nehemiah is pointing out to us is this. You, you know that vast ruin that was Jerusalem? You know whose fault that was? These people. These houses who were taken in exile... These are the priests that God judged. These are the leaders of Jerusalem that God judged. These are the ones that the prophets warned about. These are the ones, because of their iniquity, because of their sin, because of their oppression, because of their idolatry, because of their unfaithfulness, led to their ruin. These are the people who are so wicked that instead of listening to the word of God, they hired their own prophets to prophesy what they wanted to hear. Imagine that. That would, that would never happen now. Yeah, that was a joke. Right? They, they don't like what the Word of God is saying. In Lamentations, that, that passage I read, Jeremiah is lamenting because he's an actual prophet who they didn't listen to. That they, they hired prophets who would tell them the things they wanted to hear, but they weren't true. So they didn't know their true iniquity. They didn't repent. They needed to hear the true word of God so that they, so that they can repent and be saved. All of this could have been avoided, but their hearts were hard. And these houses listed here, they're the ones at fault. But here's the good news. I mean, this is, this is the amazing news. It's, it's great news. There's, what's the word above great and awesome news? Is that we get a glimpse of, of how God works. This is how God works. God takes these sinful people, and God, who had made promises to them, stays faithful. He tells Jeremiah to prophesy to the people. The, the people, finally, you know, in, in the, the, the history of when Nebuchadnezzar was coming and he was, you know, going, they're going to be brought into exile, it, and it, it was inevitable. They finally admitted that, yep, I, I guess Jerusalem is going to fall, and that Nebuchadnezzar is coming, and he is going to take us into exile. The, the, pro, the hired prophets started saying, hey, you know what? Pack light, you're going to be back here in no time. It, it's, good, it's just temporary. 
And God says to Jeremiah, it's going to be a long time. When you go to Babylon, right, uh, put, give your daughters in marriage and have them married. Uh, uh, build homes, uh, plant, plant uh, gardens, plant trees. You know, you're going, to, you're going to be there for a while. And pray for the prosperity of the city, because as the city goes, Babylon, so will you. And God promised to prosper them even while they're in exile. And you know what we see here? God was faithful. Look at all the people that came from these houses, right? Here's this group, these people. How many did they go off to, to Jerusalem with? Well, if you just counted up the names of the individuals, it was very small. But now there's 42,000 of them come back. And that's just the ones that came back. I don't know if you know this, but, but God prospered the people in Babylon so much that when there was the opportunity to come back, many of them stayed. Because things were going really well. God is faithful. God is faithful because these people deserved it so much. No. God is faithful because, here we go, and this is where I want us to start shifting our, our minds a little bit. God is faithful because God is good. God is faithful because that's his character. God is faithful because he's generous and gracious. And he loves, he loves to make good on his promises and bless those who don't deserve it. I want to read from Isaiah chapter 61. Verses 1 through 4. Isaiah is another one of the prophets who was telling the truth and wasn't believed. In fact, Isaiah ticked off the king so much that he ended up getting sawed in half. That's how he met his end. But here's Isaiah prophesying in chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. You see, God had in mind that the very people the very people who were the cause of the destruction of Jerusalem, God would continue to be faithful to them, to exile them to Babylon and, and build up their generations and have them come back. Those very same families, they come back. And why? That they might be a display of his glory. Listen, I love what he calls them here, oaks of righteousness, right? And oak, oak trees, they're these, you know, they're big, they're, they're solid, they're, they're, uh, they're beautiful, uh, they, they, they can be 
you know, they can be hundreds of years old. Um, this is God's desire. He's going to take these sinners, these, these people, he's going to bless them and be faithful to them and bring them back to be the rebuilder of these ruins for his own glory. Briefly, I want to talk about glory because that's a great Christian word that we don't know what we're talking about, right? Um, in the Bible, there's many words for, that, that are translated glory. In the Old Testament, there's generally two. Shekinah, which means like this brightness, like this shining. It's, it's the physical manifestation of God's holiness and presence, right? The, the other one is kabod, which means, uh, literally means weighty, right? So someone who's weighty is glorious. Kind of, kind of like that. It's really... Most of the languages in the ancient world have that, that idea. In Latin, it's magnus. Magnus is we get magnificent from, right? It means both large and it also means great. Right? I like that too. <laughs> magnificent, right? But the, the, the key here is, is that um, the, the understanding of, of, of glory and what it comes to mean for us scripturally is, is the idea of a, it's, the, it's a display of the distinctive excellence of a thing. Right, so I say, say I, I um, um, you know, say I go to someone's house. Um, I'm trying to think who should I, who should I name? Mike, uh, who's who likes to fish? No one's a fisherman. Mike, okay, I go to Mike Williams' house, right? And I, I walk into his house, and there's this huge walleye mounted on his, on his wall. What, what am I going to assume about Mike? <laughs> what? He caught it, that he's probably a pretty good fisherman, especially if there's all sorts of these trophies lying around. It's a display of the distinctive excellence of Mike's hunting ability, or fishing ability. I don't know, you might have done it illegally, I don't know, it might have been. But, but it's, it's a display of the, of, of the distinctive excellence of his fishing ability. It's his glory, right? And, and, th- and this, is, this is the idea. God is, God is going to take this, these sinful people who have caused such things, He's going to bless them and, be, and bring them back that they might rebuild these ruins so that they might be a display of his glory. The distinctive excellence of God is going to be shown in these people. And what is that distinctive excellence? God's own faithfulness. God wants to display his faithfulness through these people. The wall is just a means. The wall is going to protect them so that they can rebuild. And God is going to bless them and bless them and bless them. They're going to be, he's going to be faithful to them. And it's going to show the world that God is faithful. And, and that's wonderful news. And, and, and this is the, well, well, let's talk about us then. When I read Isaiah chapter 61, I'm sure many of you kind of picked up like, hey, I've heard that before, but I thought that was in the New Testament. When Jesus began his ministry, uh, he goes into a synagogue. At the very beginning of his ministry, they hand him uh, uh, the scroll of Isaiah. He opens it up to that passage, and he reads it. And he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. We have been chosen in Christ to be a display of God's glory. The world has been ruined through the fall, not just the Babylonians, right, in a particular city. 
And in this fallen world, God has chosen us to display his faithfulness, to be the kind of people who will rebuild the ruins, ruins of this world. And here's where I want to change the, you to change the paradigm, perhaps, of your thinking of the gospel. Okay. I remember often hearing people uh, preach uh, and, and wanting people to come to Christ. And it sounded something like this. You have this, you have this life that's messed up. And the problem is sin. God has paid the debt for your sin so that you can right, be forgiven, but the implication is so that those things that have hindered you from your success is gone, and now you can be more successful. That's not the gospel. Okay. Then there's the other thing, the, 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 the evangelical burdenism of, of this. That because my life, the chief end of my life is, is to glorify God and enjoy him, that I need to find out how I need to glorify God and I need to, I need to figure out what these big things are, these radical things are, these amazing things are, that I might glorify God. That's not the gospel either. God is going to be glorified through you because God is faithful. What your life is going to do, what our life is going to do, is be a demonstration of how God is faithful to me and to you. It's not that I am somehow going to do something for God. The gospel is that God is doing something for you. And through you, and in your weakness, and in your sin, and in, in him restoring you, the world will see and it'll be wonderful. I know I'm kind of out of time. So this is my, my big question for you, my, my big question. If we understand what God does is restore people, and the purpose of that restoration is to display his faithfulness through you, the, the question is, is, where is your own brokenness and ruin? And how might you allow God to show himself faithful in it? I say this because more often than not, what we tend to do is hide our, our failings and act as if, you know, we want to display a glory that's ours. And what I'm saying is, is that if, if, if we really understand what God is trying to do in this world and how we are being used for God's purposes in this world... We understand what God is doing is he wants to display his faithfulness in your life. So what is it that your life has ruined? Where is it where there's devastations? Where is it where God would like to show to you and to the world his faithfulness? And would you think about those things? Will you pray about those things? Will you believe that? Will you believe that? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your 
promises to us. And God, here we thank you for your faithfulness. God, we admit we're sinners from the time we were born, even now. We can't help it. But God, we know that you love us. You've called us to yourself. You've chosen us to be a display of your splendor. And my asking right now is that you would help us allow you to display your glory in our lives. Demonstrate your faithfulness, even in our brokenness and our weakness, even in our ruin. God, you're faithful. God, help us to accept that, that we might rest and rely on your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name and for the glory that's yours. Amen. Amen.